0: This is David Larkins. This is David Schimpf. And this is Unabashed Gaming.
1: That's right. And tonight we will be talking about pile drivers. Indeed. And, uh, well, and occasional homebrew rules as well as uh, anything else that comes to mind. Yeah. And first impressions, I think, of uh, Dungeon World, correct? Oh, yes, exactly. As we both had our first encounter with that. Yeah, so you'll be getting the player experience as well as the GM experience. Mm -hmm. So it should be interesting, I think.
0: Yes, let's get into it. All right. So, Dungeon World. Dungeon World.
1: It was really interesting. Um, I liked the, uh, let's see, I liked how it just in the mechanics of character creation it sort of gets the players already role-playing mm. i find that um you know with the the classic standard you know everyone meets in a tavern for the mm. first time uh it's cliche and what's funny is that the cliche hardly ever really works very well so just yeah sort of having the uh, the established bonds between characters and you know making it a gameplay mechanic even that kind of Yeah, it serves a much better purpose than just sort of throwing everyone into, you know, like a locked room and hoping they come out alive together.
0: Absolutely. Um, I like that everything there kind of serves... There's, like, incentives for everything on that sheet. Right. You know, like the alignment thing. You get XP for playing your alignment. Exactly. You know, which is pretty cool. From the uh, GM perspective, um, it was a pretty wild experience. Yeah. uh, Because the default setting is... Or default setup, I should say, is... um, just improvise your way through the first session, <laughs> you know, which, Right. I mean, obviously I, I was using some materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw you flipping through like a bestiary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's in the rule book itself. And then I was, I just brought in a, a systemless, uh, setting called Euresia, grave of heaven.
2: Okay. Uh,
0: that's where that map came from and the mm. the sort of basic idea that I was running with, you know, oh. but, um, yeah, there's all this stuff that goes on behind the screen uh, in terms of um, things you're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. as the Dungeon World GM. Right. And there's, like, these principles that are, like, written across the top of the page, you know, that ah. you're supposed to, like, kind of keep your eye on at all times. And... Um, you know, like how you had the basic moves and the stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's GM moves, but one of the principles is never tell them what move you're using. Ah, so well, that's,
1: yeah, that's, it's, it's a good one to make.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is. You know. It keeps it from getting too mechanistic. Exactly. But like, for instance, um, when Jade's character's spear was eaten by the spider uh-huh. because she failed her hack and slash roll, Right. I was using the move. Um, something it's called something like um, destroy an item or take away an item mm. so basically whenever there's a failure the, the the core idea which I didn't really explain in the session but mm. the core idea is failure should never be a dead stop it's uh. all everything should always move something forward mm. so even yeah. if there's a failure it should be moving the game forward right. in some way so when when there's a failure on the player side that's when I get to implement a move exactly yeah but yeah, my brain did feel a bit like a wrung sponge afterwards because I was just trying to like stay one step ahead of everyone. You
1: know? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Well, with a new system, I mean, it's it's obvious that you'll need to refer back to the rules pretty consistently. But mm-hmm. you know, after after a few more sessions, it'll you know end up being second nature. But yeah, I do like that they don't have you uh, you know call out what you're doing. I think I think that the players can. F- would be served also in doing the same thing Mm. i can see it you know devolving into a oh i'm going to investigate this or i'm going to parlay or Mm -hmm. oh yeah and that just kind of that just kind of turns it into like a dungeons and dragons fourth edition where instead of really being creative they're just constantly spamming oh i'm gonna do a furious smash Mm -hmm. or a reaping strike but there's no real there's no real flavor for the character—it's all just for the outside players. Yes. And yeah, that—that that kind of—it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't really serve to move anything forward. Yeah. It's really more the, uh, just like a back and forth, like a, like a really boring tennis match with
0: occasionally interesting names. Exactly. And and the rule, the dungeon world rules, are very explicit about the fiction they call it, which is basically anything that's established inside of the game world mm. takes precedence. Mm. So you know, if I just happen to casually mention. Uh, some feature of a room that establishes it in the fiction and then it becomes a real thing that the other players can then, you know, take advantage of in some way. Right. You know, so um, they're definitely, yeah, very much trying to avoid that kind of, um, what would you call it, mechanics shorthand. Yeah. You know, where you're just using the mechanics rather than actually engaging in, in a sort of collaborative storytelling. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Macros, maybe.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Right, right yeah um i'm definitely definitely want to try playing it some more because i think by the end of the session i was i was starting to get it more yeah you know um you know there's there's other things you know like give give the players hard choices you know so there's that bit during the final uh spider combat where it's like well you can go help out this person or you can go defend this person you know so what are you going to do like you know that's sort of like what you want to be doing as much as possible yeah you know so I really like the philosophy behind the game mm-hmm. and um, so far I like the mechanics as well yeah I could see them becoming
1: a lot more fluid in the uh, in the future for in you know future sessions and I think that'll well even towards the end of the session when we weren't really focusing like on specific hack and slash mm. where uh, yeah you know the bard really was was really intuitive and kind of thought outside the box to mm-hmm. solve the problem. Yeah, so
0: that was great. Yeah, yeah, and like there are some some times you know where it's like, well, okay, you can just do that. You don't have to roll for it. You know, it's just something you do. So that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I want to um, you know check out some of the other games. You know, the Apocalypse World and uh, maybe Monster Hearts looks intriguing. Yeah, so um, I like it.
1: Yeah, I had a friend uh, who played Apocalypse World at um mm. this year. Mm. Uh, he said it occasionally has the potential to get really really awkward for players. Yes. So they they apparently there's this like little black card in the middle. Oh. That like if you feel as a person becoming really uncomfortable with the the you know, turns that the story's taking you touch it and you know, they just
0: sort of shift things around. Maybe That's
1: interesting. Maybe just fade to black.
0: Yeah, because Apocalypse World has a mechanic um, called history. It's sort of like the bond mechanic, uh-huh. where you track your history with the different players, and you. Um, but there's it's expressed as a number rather than a, a you know qualitative statement. Ah. And so you can you can get history with other players with other characters by doing things with them, and that includes having sex with them. Right. And other you know carnal things of that nature you know and so i could see why yeah I yeah because some people don't want to do that exactly yeah.
1: and you know at, at like a con especially
0: a con yeah where people walking around yeah that's...
1: <laughs> some total stranger <laughs> yeah apparently he said that there was like a cards against humanity table like one one table over and they were getting uncomfortable <laughs>
0: so <laughs> i it was then i decided that i cannot wait to play this game yeah no i want to run it for sure yeah and um and that, um, that sort of uh, comedy anime hack I was telling you about is actually based off Apocalypse World more Ooh. than... Like, it's a hack of Apocalypse World rather than being a hack of Dungeon World. Oh, yes. Like, mechanically speaking. And I haven't actually read the Apocalypse World rulebook, so I may be talking out of my ass here. But um, I don't think Apocalypse World uses the attribute scale, which was sort of my one kind of beef with, with our Dungeon World experience last night. Oh, that it did use it? That it used it because it, it's sort of pointless, you know? I know I know yeah. it's there to, to like evoke D&D. Right. But it, it seemed to be causing a lot of confusion. It's true, of, yeah. You know, in the group. And um, people were kept going back to their attributes to, like, calculate things. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't pay any attention to those. And it's like, well, then why did I write them down?
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. When, you know, you need them occasionally for,
0: for like, some rolls, but at the same
1: time, like... Yeah.
0: It, it never really comes up. You always use the bonus, so you yeah. might as well just have the bonus there. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I, I went back and looked at uh, dragon world, which is the anime hack. And, um, there's some great, uh, stuff in there. Like the, the useless bard. Mm. Um, I think one of, one of their moves is, um, if they, uh, if they get reduced to zero hit points, you can roll. And if you get a 10 or better, they pop back up without any apparent damage. <laughs> Oh. So they're like really hard to kill, you know. Okay. But then like um their music tends to put people to sleep. Oh. And uh, or or else annoy people. Like those are the only two things you can do with the <laughs> music. You know? <laughs> so and then there's um uh there's like this um sacrificial princess um class where it's like basically you get XP for getting captured. Oh yeah. And um and actually like I think you know I think you get like some kind of you know, bonus uh, or some something that you can hold if the, if you allow the GM to uh, capture you for plot reasons. Huh. You know, so. That's interesting. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then of course there's the chosen visitor, which is the guy from Earth, you know, who like doesn't know what's going on, right?
1: Right. The uh, the the straight man. Uh
0: huh. Yeah. He's like, it's it's a cell phone. It's a boomstick. You know, right. kind of thing. So.
1: Yeah, I could uh, I could see picking up.
0: A... Uh, Dragon
1: World I, uh, mm. I have the uh, I have the BESM second edition it's just really hard to find players interested in that really and, uh, yeah most or um, my friend uh, my friend Scott actually he tried uh, he tried to run made RPG once mm. for a good group of us And he made the mistake um, of not establishing people who actually watched made like anime or (laughs) or, or like harem anime. So like we just, you know, had these, you know, between like 28 and like 35 year olds just sort of sitting around a table. And he and I are the only ones that are really getting the jokes like dead down. And then like one of our friends, Susan, kind of did because she watches a lot of Sailor Moon. But at the same time, like most of it was just, you know, really over people's heads and they didn't really... You know, they don't have that nostalgic memory of watching anime, so they don't really mm. they don't really take the enjoyment out of it that you know other people would. Fans of the genre, you might say.
0: Yeah, that's so. yeah, that's always a it's always kind of a chancy thing. That was for me for a long time was um, getting into games that were based on like licensed properties or certain genres that I didn't have any actual exposure to. Right, and I'd just be like, oh, that sounds cool, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I guess if it's, well, I, you know, I can guarantee you that Jen would have no interest in playing anything anime related because she hates anime. Right. You know, so it's like you got to kind of make sure everyone's at least interested, even if they don't know about it. Exactly. Actually, you know, they should be interested in it uh, conceptually.
1: Yeah, so perhaps Dragon World would be a, a better introduction for them. It, since might, it yeah. seems uh It seems a bit more like Record of Lotus World or War than, yeah. uh, than you know, uh,
0: Tenshi Muyo yeah yeah exactly uh, definitely and um you know it's only like a i don't know 10, 10 or 20 page oh, PDF. Wow. you know it's basically just runs off the apocalypse world engine and you know here are the mods you have to do and that's a lot of, a lot of these apocalypse world type games are like that um hmm. where like dungeon world started as just this free mod yeah, and then it turned into a game through Kickstarter, mm. and the core book is 400 pages, but that's because it's um, digest size, and the it's got about a one inch margin on every <laughs> on every side. I mean, oh, it's, it's all about like the, the big open you know um, uh, negative space uh, kind of layout. You know, yeah. Um, so I'm you know if you packed it in two columns a page, uh, letter size, it would probably be like. Seventy-five pages or something. You know? Man. Yeah. No, it's pretty straightforward, and most of it's just uh, monsters and class descriptions, and yeah, you know the mechanics themselves, very simple.
1: Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Then uh, moving on to
0: pile drivers, I suppose. Yes. And the not pile jackhammers. Driver. Not jackhammers. Pile oh. drivers, <laughs> exactly. And uh, this was a term that I ran across uh, online a couple of years ago. It was coined by the Critical Hits blog. I went back and looked it up. I didn't actually remember where it came from. Mm. Um, but uh, basically, I'll quote from the blog here. They say Pile Driver is the term we use for every time an unintentional rules mistake is made during play and not corrected. Pile Driver is not to be confused with hacking. House rules or other conscientious deviation from the rules. In Dave's d and game, characters received custom epic abilities. This was a choice. On the other hand, almost one half of the campaign was played with the party fighter adding his wisdom bonus to attacks provoked by his fighter mark and to his attacks of opportunity. The trigger for that bonus seems pretty similar, and no one thought about it until for one reason or another it clicked with the table that they weren't the same thing. It certainly wasn't an overpowering mistake, but it was a clear, long-lasting pile driver, albeit benign in a cooperative setting and um, the uh, blog that pointed me towards that um, post was uh, a blog called Monsters and Manuals, and they had an interesting observation, which is the most popular RPG ever, D&D, by far, is also probably the least correctly played RPG ever made, too. Because for some reason, D&D really lends itself to pile drivers. That seems like it. Well, obviously, if it's if it's the
1: most popular game, it will hmm. you know have the most players, and therefore the most mistakes. True. And you and know, we we did talk last week about you know younger players picking up you know the the bestiary before the actual game.
0: Yes. So absolutely, and and that's that's been a big part of it. I think is the multiple core book uh, format. Right. And also, like all, pretty much every edition of D and D prior to third edition mm. was a mess. You know, uh, just, um, rules, you know, for different situations being completely different and Mm. organizationally, like the earlier editions were just all over the place, kind of stream of consciousness, you know, organization. So I've, you know, I've read about probably more pile drivers than I've actually personally experienced, but you know, some Mm. of the ones I'm thinking about are, um, you know, misreading, uh, how long spells should last or, um, you know sort of glossing over uh certain things like oh well if you have multiple attacks uh you you know you do them all at once oh no actually the rules say you know you you alternate you know so everyone gets attack one everyone gets attack two that changes the game you know pretty significantly indeed you know if you've got someone with three attacks and they can do it all at once you know you're going to have much bloodier combats with much more capable pcs absolutely yeah um but the interesting thing to me about pile drivers and the reason why, you know, I wanted to uh, to touch on them is that they aren't inherently bad. Um, I think that sometimes a system can actually be more fun with the pile drivers in place, um, as long as everyone at the table, you know, feels the same way. Um, you can actually um, have an improved gaming experience Hmm. uh, with your pile drivers in play, whether you realize it or not. Indeed. Yeah. But um, you know, I I, uh, talked a bit about my Palladium days as a teenager and that system is very much like old school D&D in that it's just all over the place and has a lot of really weird rules and we just pile drive the hell out of it. Right. You know, and I think that was the only way it was playable, to be honest. Yeah. So... I don't know. What's your personal experience with pile drivers?
1: I honestly haven't had uh, too many, and I'd say the the one that really springs to mind uh, just sort of involved a player misreading like a specific spell rule, and me not. Um, I checked it. I just didn't, you know, go over it with a very careful eye. Mm. So it involved the uh, the spread of a certain attack mm. uh, for a level one character uh that created or that basically made it into sort of a powerhouse yeah so you know instead of covering a very small bit of field it covered the entire arena and you were able to can still move it Mm. and so it um you know it made my combats harder um it 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 actually kind of derailed my entire intention for that campaign actually which was my uh which was my 4e dark sun Uh. it kind of turned it from you know I'm gonna throw really deadly stuff at you into oh the players suddenly have these you know really game breaking things they can do and they're gonna use them as much as possible Mm -hmm. and I won't be able to you know do anything to stop them and so essentially when we uh, when we found out the mistake it uh, was sort of agreed on unanimously that we would change it back to you know what was originally intended and not long after the, uh, the owner of that character switched to something else because he didn't really have his uh, instant win button anymore, I think.
0: Yeah, that's definitely the downside to pile drivers. Is is uh, if you discover it has been going on and you want to dial it back. I mean, how do you do that? You know, it's it's like weaning somebody off of a narcotic. You right, know? you're you're taking away their favorite toy. <laughs> exactly, and it, it really it really uh, deflates the energy. I mean, in, in the world of darkness campaign I'm in right now, where we were having a pile driver issue with some of the. Um, the um, changes between the original new world of darkness and the rules update that's just come out Mm. uh, when we discovered the mistakes we've been making it, there was, you know, the campaign kind of hung in the balance there, you know, for about a week as the, the GM storyteller kind of uh, molded over whether he wanted to continue or not. Right. You know, because that's, that's one way of looking at it is, uh, well, you know, is what's happened in this campaign so far, quote-unquote, legitimate. Right. Right. But, um, like I said, for for myself, for the most part, I think they're a good thing, um, except when they're not. Yeah. (laughs) The one that that always drives me nuts, uh, listening to um, Call of Cthulhu actual plays, I would say this is probably the most common Call of Cthulhu pile driver, Mm -hmm. is people um, screwing up the uh, insanity rules. Ah. Uh, It seems like people... uh, usually forget either to have the intelligence times five role Mm. um, to see if your character goes temporarily insane right they usually skip right over that and go right to the temporary insanity because everyone gets so excited
1: exactly right
0: um and then uh the other thing is they seem to uh, sort of conflate temporary and indefinite insanity yes which you know i can understand that they're they're very there's very fine grade between those two you know Concepts. It's it's true. You know, I mean, unless, you know, I mean, at first blush, you know, you kind of, what's temporary, what's indefinite? You know, they're, they're, they kind of sound the same. Exactly. You know, but they're quite different. And, um, you know, indefinite insanity is something that is much more long-term and should be worked out between the player and the keeper. And instead, you know, I hear people like rolling on the temporary insanity table. And yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, like, so it's in that sense, I think people sort of, Pile drive Call of Cthulhu to up the insanity factor.
1: Yes. Well, obviously, it. uh I mean, for the uh, for the keeper at least, it sort of makes it more fun for you because, I mean, the the really the, the way that you know Call of Cthulhu really ends for players is that they usually go crazy. Right. The the longest living ones, they're obviously the least sane, and you know the really lucky ones, at least physically, tend to be the really unlucky ones mentally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So. I've definitely been at tables where the excitement of just seeing someone roll, you know, like really high on their, you know, on their sanity check and, you know, basically like crit failing it. And then, you know, the, the GM rules, well, you're just going to take the maximum then. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's just, you've already gone through, you know, the acceptance of, hey, I've, you know, royally messed up here and you know what, I'm just going to accept it and it'll be fun.
2: Mm Mm-hmm
1: and you know so uh i i guess having the uh, the int role in there you know it, it makes sense
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh at least from a uh n- not necessarily from a mechanic standpoint but definitely from sort of like a playing standpoint you know the uh they excuse it as well either you rationalize it as something or you you know you you take the hit and you fully understand that it's mm-hmm. something really horrible um so i can um i can kind of see both sides of that and i think uh I think the real problem, though, with the uh, different uh, difference between temporary and indefinite, mm-hmm. is just that they're both sort of based off of you know how much sanity you lose. Yeah. So you know one is you lose five sanity. One loses one is you lose like a fifth of your sanity. Mm-hmm. I believe. Yes. Uh. So. I I think just you know those numbers are are kind of what sort of messes even with the flow I would say of the game. Mm-hmm. You can, you you can basically tell if you go a little crazy. Mm-hmm. It's you're you're obviously going you know losing some sanity at, at that point but just kind of like you know doing the math and checking it seems like there there probably should be a better way to determine indefinite uh insanity but you know that that falls into the under the house rules discussion that we'll be having later
0: yes that's right it does get into house rules and i know the uh the current keeper screen that i have actually has a uh a little track across the top of it just so that you can see at a glance what a fifth of any given number is right you know so that that obviously points to the fact that this is an issue that comes up a lot
1: exactly so yeah then,
0: yeah um but it's a shame because i actually quite like indefinite insanity mm. um, temporary insanity i think is what everyone thinks about when they think about call of cthulhu yeah oh my character is homicidal or my character is a drooling idiot or whatever yeah but Indefinite has some interesting um, applications in terms of taking a character out of the story for a little while if you're in a campaign mode. Mm. Um, the Gaslight campaign I ran, we had a character who uh, had his mind switched mm. with a, uh, a London constable. Oh. Uh, he, and he was actually a, a Scotland Yard detective, so they had their minds switched. <laughs> and then um, the original body, the original PC's body, was, was then killed Oh. So he was stuck in this constable's body <laughs> and quite understandably uh, lost more than a fifth of his sanity. Obviously. And, um, and you know, was driven indefinitely insane. Mm. And that made total sense, you know, because it's like, okay, so now you're this totally different person, but you're insisting that you're Inspector Pike,
2: you exactly. know.
0: And uh, so, of course, they're going to throw you in the nuthouse. Yeah. And then, so... You know a new character was made Mm. inspector pike slash constable was uh shuffled off to an asylum and you know things were going along the campaign and it sort of occurred to me like well how long does indefinite insanity last so i look it up well it doesn't last more than six months yeah you know i mean six months is the maximum and uh we were playing on on sort of that that scale where there might be months between adventures Mm. and it sort of occurred to me and i ran it past pike's player um you know, I said, well, you've basically got a backup character now. Mm. You know, Pike has learned to just sort of toe the line and say, of course I'm Constable Henry or whatever his name was. Right. Oh, I'm totally sane now. <laughs> I'll be on my way. Hmm. You know, and he knows he's still Pike, but he's re- he's reconciled it to being inside this other person's body, and and it's okay for him now, and and he's sort of regained some some kind of grip on reality at this point. Yeah. And we didn't end up bringing him back in, but. It struck me is that well that's an interesting way of looking at indefinite insanity. It just sort of KOs a character for a certain period of time, right? But they can always come back. So I'd like to see it more often, but I understand in like a one-shot uh, context. Yeah, you know, you want to kind of go for the for the theatrical short-term stuff, and so that makes sense.
1: Exactly, and you know, I mean, uh, yeah, my my experience with Call of Cthulhu has been basically been you know a series of one shots and you know with occasionally recurring characters but Mm -hmm. you know most of the time players aren't you know aren't consistent on like a week to week basis you know if it's if it's just established that it's a one shot so Mm -hmm. you know when they show up they're they're really expecting to sort of get the you know the call of cthulhu flavor in their mouths that's true so you know they they want they want games dripping with ichor and Mm. they want their characters to you know roll either six or seven on their temporary insanity and you know
0: start trying to stab everyone So. That, that is fun. I mean, yeah. no doubt about that. And Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the new edition. It's going to have uh, an insanity deck. So instead of rolling on a table, you can just deal a card out. I like that concept. Yeah, because then you can just hand the card to the player without saying anything, and they can kind of keep it to themselves. And then, yeah. you know, everyone else has to kind of figure out what's going on with them based on how they play the character. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think we could transition into the house rules discussion at this point.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, gaming house rules. Uh, obviously, there you know, are myriad uh, house rules that, uh, that take place, even you know, on a small scale in gaming. Uh, you know, they're, they're easy to come up with and implement, usually if your players are flexible. Uh, what, are, uh, what are some of yours?
0: Well, it's an interesting thing with me and house rules, because for a long time, I was very pedantic. Mm. Um, I was very much a rules as written kind of person. Um, not even in like the sense of, um, you know, oh, well, I'm just going to run these rules right or wrong. But I was definitely one of those people who would be like, I don't like the way this game plays. I'm not playing it anymore. Uh, and then I kind of went to the other extreme mm. um, starting probably about five years ago. I just started to kind of get into the whole idea of house ruling and uh yeah i kind of went nuts and would produce these really long like 20 page house rule documents before i even started running something ah yes and so that's always a mistake too because you definitely want to base your house rules off of things that actually happen in the game right yeah um if you're just kind of going oh well this seems like a good idea Mm. it usually isn't yeah you know So these days I do try to keep my house rules, uh, limited and based on actual experience. Mm. So, um, you know, I don't have a whole lot of house rules. Uh, for example, when I run Call of Cthulhu or BRP, um, I think maybe the one I I almost always use is a, a critical fumble. Gets you an experience check In the same way that a, You know An excellent success Oh really? Yeah
1: hmm.
0: uh, I like that idea Because you know We learn from our greatest mistakes As much as we do From our greatest triumphs That's true Yeah
1: hmm.
0: And then You know I think most of the other House rules um, Are just more down to, to Style Like Rolling individual Sand losses Rather than One sand loss That everyone takes you know. Uh, yes. You know Simultaneously Or what have you um, Pendragon, I tend to have more house rules just because it's kind of an older system um, and it's sort of invites tinkering. I find that the older systems, you know, one tends to tinker with a little more. Right. Just because they're more of a kind of a toolbox type uh, system. Mm-hmm. You know, newer systems, Dungeon World included, tend to be very tight, very well designed. Mm-hmm. You know, Dungeon World obviously is, is uh, very moddable. You know, but I I think that transcends house rules, and that just gets into, I'm going to write a completely new game. Right. I mean, there there's a Dungeon World mod called the Dungeon Planet that's like uh, Ray Gun sci-fi.
2: Hmm.
0: You know, and it's based strictly off of Dungeon World, you know? Interesting. And it, and at that point, it just becomes a completely different game.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And, yeah, you know, uh, making your own classes, I don't really consider that house ruling, you know? It's right. just adding your own flavor, so... Yeah, no, I I try to I try to base my house rules like even with Pendragon, you know, I I had a big list of of house rules when I started running the um, Great Pendragon campaign with my wife, and Mm. um, and I slowly just whittled it down, you know, I was just crossing things off like, well, we never use this, or well, I always forget to do to do that, or well, actually, this wasn't as much of a problem as I thought it would be, right? You know, so now I have I think about a three page document, you know, all told, not bad. Uh, um, how about yourself?
1: Well, um, speaking of Pendragon,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, <laughs> yeah, on the uh, on the BRP game that I'm running right now, the uh, was it uh, poachers and dinosaurs? Mm-hmm. You know, in a uh, in a small sense. Yes. Uh, yeah, I uh, you know I realized that you know the the, the things that I are writing the uh, the campaigns or the you know the scenarios or episodes, I guess I like to call them. Um, really it's, um, you know, they, they're sort of very isolated and, you know, kind of episodic mm-hmm. already. So I, I kind of, uh, I sort of brought over an aspect of like the Pendragon, um, you know, downtime, like every, you know, you, with Pendragon, you have a little action, but then like really nothing happens for the rest of the year except for, you know, the winter phase. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I kind of, I kind of brought in like a weekly downtime counter for players so that. You know, um, depending on how many weeks we spend in between games, I sort of, you know, estimate that's how many weeks in between, you know, their various adventures. So, you know, giving them like skill rolls each week, or you know, something that their character is specifically working towards. Obviously, nothing like, you know, that would be in the core BRP rulebook, but just something to sort of, you know, enhance the enhance the players, you know, perception of the world, as well as kind of giving them a little bit more. um I guess a little bit more reason to you know to invest themselves in their characters. Mm. So you know, I have a I have a character right now that's trying to cure a disease, and so like mm. on his downtime, he hasn't been spending any time improving himself. All it's been is just you know him researching cures and you know inoculations, et cetera, et cetera. So that's um you know that seems to have hit off pretty well with the players. Um, I may actually start implementing that uh, that experience check on crit fails because they have been rolling horribly <laughs> for, the, uh, <laughs> for the yeah past few sessions. I mean,
0: in addition to just kind of feeling right, it also does help sweeten the uh, whenever you fumble, definitely uh, feel to things. You know, yeah. Um, there's a there's a BRP uh, house rule I've I've heard a couple people use that I don't personally mm-hmm. um, you know think is you know, something I'd want to implement. Right. But it's, uh, some people actually allow multiple checks on a skill, Hmm. you know? So, and I think those are like when they tend to have the house rules that, uh, make it really hard to get a check. Right. Like, well, you only get a check if you roll a fumble or critical success, you know, 5% of your skill. Right. Um, well, yeah, so that's pretty tough. And yeah, you know, so it's like, but you know, if you happen to do it twice, you can check it twice, you know, Mm. I, I tend to like the rules as written just, well, you have a, you, you're either checked or you're not checked, and there's only so much you can learn basically.
1: Exactly you know?
0: yeah. yeah. Um, you know that's that's sort of what I fell in love with was house rules was reading other people's house rules. Mm. And that's why I would produce these massive documents because I'd be like, that's cool. I'm, I'm stealing that. Ooh, I like that too. you know. yeah. Um, it's It's tempting to just you know grab house rules and and really you know go nuts with it. Uh, especially when you have a system that sort of allows you to do it. Right. Uh, a tightly designed game like GURPS or 4th mm-hmm. uh, edition or even 3rd edition D&D. Oh, yeah. Um, that would be pretty tough to house rule. I know people do it. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't try it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, let's see. I've played in one 3.5 D&D where uh, the, uh, the GM... He uh, he did what we were talking about earlier. He has like maybe 50 pages of house rules, <laughs> but it's it's like combination house rules plus his setting. He's been working on mm. for quote unquote 20 years. Mm. So like you know there's all these there's all these character generation and like yeah. new races yeah. and you know uh, very interesting stuff, very involved character creation, and you really sort of you kind of get a feel for your character. But it's mainly just through like random dice rolls and like you know choosing points. It's not exactly you know you inputting your own you know flair onto the character it's really just choosing from a preset list or having something chosen for you mm. so it's you know it's, it's got some ups and downs i i enjoy it just because i'm you know i'm i'm an incredible fan of care gen like, yes that's absolutely. that is one of my favorite parts of being a player so i always i always enjoy the mortality of um of certain characters of mine um just so i can re-roll something and <laughs> You know, it's, it's why I also enjoyed, you know, rolling one shot or, you know, setting up one shots for people just so I could create their characters ah, for them so they didn't have to. Yes. But, um, you know, just something, just having something that glutted is, I, I, it feels somewhat self-defeating to me because, you know, for players, they're never really going to read all the way through the rulebook. So if you have extensive house rules, they're going to know your house rules better than they know the core rules. Well, that's assuming they even read the house rules. It's true. <laughs> which is yeah. not something you can rely on. But you know like most of the time if you if you spend time making house rules, you're going to you're going to you know put them in an email and send them to people and be like these are my house rules, you need to familiarize yourselves with them. Yeah. And then, you know, people are going to be asking like at the table like, "Well, yeah, okay. So I know what to what to do if I'm grappling on, you know, a, you know, a crossbeam of a ship in naval combat while there's rain streaming. But like what do I roll to grapple?
0: Yeah, what are the basic grappling rules?" Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> so you know uh i'm i'm always a fan of you know interesting and new house rules and i really like seeing you know the creativity some people you know put into them because they really do a lot of them put like their heart and soul and you know creating these you know very specialized custom circumstances for their rules to come through but at the same time i really think that there needs to be like a little bit more interaction with the players and the actual base core rules Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that's something I, I try to do. I try to stop myself from tinkering too much, mm-hmm. you know, with a game when I first get it. Just run it, you know, yeah. as written. That that happened with me in Savage Worlds. The first couple of times I tried to run Savage Worlds, I tried to do it all fancy, mm-hmm. uh, converting uh, systems over or worlds over from other systems, and it didn't work too well. Yeah, you know, because I didn't. I didn't know all the all the ways the system worked together internally, mm-hmm. and so that's why I was like, I'm gonna just run Deadlands Reloaded because that is something that's written specifically for Savage Worlds. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna use you know adventure material that was published for it specifically, you know, and that way I learn the system. And it's, it's worked out perfectly.
1: Yeah, you yeah. Know? it's and, a great system.
0: Yeah, and and actually at this point, I'm trying to think, I don't think. I don't think I even have any ideas for house rules for Savage Worlds right now, you know? Um. I read a, a really interesting some statistician did a, a really interesting breakdown of the of probability curves of the different dice. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's that, you know, you think, well, if I'm rolling a d4, then there's a 25% chance I'll ace. Exactly. Know? But he worked it out somehow that with the wild die in play, mm-hmm. it just, it keeps all the probabilities balanced. Yeah. You know, so I don't feel any need to really monkey around with that. And um, yeah, as far as, Far as i can think of right now is i'm pretty satisfied with the system as written yeah. it's
1: yeah it's a very streamlined very easy to sort of pick up and play system mm-hmm. and yeah i really do like what the uh what the wild die does for your uh you know for probabilities mm-hmm. like i was I, I was sort of thinking the same thing like you know with the d4 you get the 25 percent chance to ace but you know you also get the 25 percent chance to crit fail yes and you know so the, the wild die sort of ups you know your probability but at the same time like it ups the probability for other things when you have higher skills yeah so it's you know it, it it's a very clever mechanic for uh, for what they were trying to accomplish and it really does create a good
0: sense of balance yeah yeah exactly so you know the i think the main thing with house rules is just play the game first and then you can start adding or subtracting cuz I mean, you were a participant in that uh, infamous um, GURPS boffer combat that I ran where I forgot a couple key rules. And I guess this is sort of like a pile driver, except that uh, it was just more like not knowing the rules. Mm. <laughs> you know, I guess that's like a pile driver. But. Um, Anyway, it turned what should have been a a lighthearted uh, you know boffer combat into um, you know these two characters basically beating the living crap out of each other and somebody ending up with a broken leg. Yeah, that was that was great. Oh, with a uh, yeah, with the padded with the giant Q-tip yeah. boffers, you know. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm just gonna take you guys through a, a non-lethal combat here so we can get an idea for how the system works. Right, freaking ten minutes later and like eighteen hundred dice rolls later, you know.
1: Yeah, everyone's just sort of
0: still waiting for one of them to fall down and <laughs> exactly. you know they're. Still doing non-lethal. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and like after the session, I was like, "Oh, that should have ended on on turn three. Yeah. Crap."
2: <laughs> oh. So,
0: but that's um, that's a whole other ball of wax is um, system mastery. I yeah. think that's that's yeah. related to pile drivers and house rules, but is is kind of a different topic entirely. So, Definitely. Yeah. So, I was just going to mention um, another peril with house rules is mm. having one that is seemingly uh just a fun little house rule that you really like Mm -hmm. that you always forget to implement
1: oh yeah yes yeah
0: um there's one that i have been in love with ever since i first discovered it and i think i've probably implemented it like three or four times Uh it's the the um Rule for substituting a 30-sided dice for any given dice roll during a session. Oh, you know you can do that once per session.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know it can be damage dice, it can be a hit roll, whatever. You know obviously it's oriented towards D&D and other sort of d20-based uh, systems. Which is maybe why I don't use it that often, since I'm usually running percentile-based systems.
1: Yeah, I think I used it as like a skill improvement once, <laughs> I think, and right. I rolled like a six.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, it's a fun idea. Uh, I just I always forget about it, and then I forget to push it on my players and remind them about it. Yeah. You know, um, and so yeah, I don't I don't often tap that rule, which is unfortunate, because it would actually work great in Savage Worlds too, yeah. I think. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like, hey, you can substitute a D30 on your wild die one time per, <laughs> right? you know, or maybe even make it an edge, you know? Yeah. Right. So, um, but I don't often think about it, unfortunately, mm. and, and that kind of holds true for a lot of house rules that I've come up with over the years. Yeah. Um, it's fun on paper, and then you just kind of forget to implement it at the table. Because it's not actually based off of something that's come up during gameplay. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I don't know if you've had any like that.
1: Um, somewhat similar. I was um when I was running my uh, when I was running my Dark Sun game actually. I uh, you know I got caught up in trying to create new and interesting like locales for players to play in. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, just out of desperation, I dragged them all into the Feywild. And, you know, everything's green there. And, you know, the big thing with Dark Sun is defiling. So I decided, you know, to create these really interesting, like, you know, in universe, you know, consistent defiling rules where, like, you know, the more verdant the area you were in, the more power you would get from defiling and the more horribly you would, you know, make the landscape into. And, you know, I felt it was really elegant and I, you know, I really. I really enjoyed the concept of it. You know, just, you know, this player is in the middle of this immense forest and he casts a spell and he enhances it and the whole place withers, but he like one shots like a, a dragon. Right. And none of my players wanted to use it. Really? Yeah. Oh that's funny. So it was it was kind of like a backfire, like it was it was so like glutted with you know with flavor and text and like, you know, circumstantial bonuses that they just never wanted to refer to it and they just stopped the filing and i was really sad
0: <laughs> damn yeah they they got
1: themselves into so much trouble with the filing and the one thing that stopped them wasn't even like a character i created it was just you know a little
0: house rule yeah. Well, you like defiling, do you? Well, here. Let me facilitate that. What are you trying to push on us? <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh.
1: So, yeah, there's a, there's another interesting backfire from my, uh, from my backlog of gaming.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. We could do a whole episode on backfiring. Right. Uh, schemes. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I guess the only other house rule I can think of is uh, back when um, D&D Next was still somewhat new and mm. kind of tenuous and mm. really sort of I was so in love with the system because it was really really basic and really easy to mess with mm-hmm. um, So like when uh, I was running a game for you guys mm-hmm. and I create or I helped Jen create like a what was it a smuggler character yeah. so like her background I had to basically make from scratch mm. and this one, I think this one actually turned out pretty successful because you know I, I basically made it so that her character you know just as a as like a background ability, kind of, like, always knew a back way into a place or, like, oh, out no. of a place. So, you know, that seemed to really help out in, you know, the way that the campaign ended up, you know, going in that direction. Yeah. And just sort of, you know, finding interesting play areas that you wouldn't really think of, you know, as GM initially. But, you know, when a character, you know, comes up to you and says, Hey, so you made this rule that says that, like, I know a backdoor out of everywhere, so... We're going to get out of this, you know, horrible situation that you've put us into and good luck on thinking of a way to, you know, implement it. And I was like, yes, no, yeah, right. oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: So it was, uh, I I really, I, I stand by that one. I really enjoyed that one and had fun with the way that it kind of, you know, changed up the system of it.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I couldn't even tell that that had been something you had created, mm. you know, because I hadn't, I had only paged through the rules. and oh, so- yeah. I just assumed that that was a background from the rules, yeah. and I think that's that's the mark of, of any good house rules, like if you can't tell that it was something that the GM added in.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: If it just seems like it's an organic part of the system, then that's a house rule that deserves to be there and deserves to uh, get frequent use.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah.
0: absolutely. Yeah. I can't. I don't know if I could say the same. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sure you could. No, I'm I'm sure I could. But um, but um, yeah, God, my my D and D house rules document that I assembled in like 2008 had a lot of cool ideas, but it was just it was way too overly complex. Yeah you know, well, a wizard can use his staff to, uh, grant himself a bonus spell and da, 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 da. well, that explains why wizards all have staffs. That's cool. You know? Yeah. So on and so forth. But yeah, it was all stuff I wrote down before we played and then it never came up.
1: Hmm. Indeed.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Have you ever uh, tried to make an original game system?
0: Mm. (laughs) Hmm. You ever gotten that hubris? Um, well, yes. Um, my well i actually have i actually have a, a sort of dual story there um my first attempt well okay my sort of intro to rpgs were um like um i don't know if they have really a name but um they were these sort of extra um extra flavored uh, choose your own adventure books that would have like actual game mechanics in them hmm. okay like um uh, there was a series that I never got into, but the, probably the best-known series called Fighting Fantasy. Hmm. And that, you actually rolled dice. You had to have 2d6 oh. with you. So you're reading the book, and then you roll dice. <laughs> oh, and you go to that page? And, well, no, uh, for, like, combat. You oh. actually have combat in the book. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you have a little character sheet at the front of the book, and you keep your stats and your equipment and everything.
2: Hmm.
0: The uh, the game books I played were uh, called the Lone Wolf series. Hmm. And um, they were you know just based off of this guy's you know, D and D game world. Yeah. And they were very eighties. Uh uh, you know, it's kind of like a Lord of the Rings meets Star Wars meets Cold War politics kind of
2: Ah, setting.
0: But very well written, Mm -hmm. very well realized, um, setting. And I just, you know, it was uh and it used a random number table where you just close your eyes and drop your pencil onto a a sheet of paper that has a bunch of numbers on it oh and it was it was zero through nine so you could use a ten-sided dice if you wanted to but I didn't know they existed at the time uh. but um, anyway that was sort of my um, you know gateway drug into RPGs and so a few years later when I was 13 I tried to write a lone wolf role-playing game oh um, and um, I still have the document actually mm. uh, thankfully it's a nice little artifact printed out on a dot matrix printer and, uh, I don't know, it's like 10 pages long, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, built off of the mechanics that were in those game books.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but with all this weird crap, like the setting doesn't have elves in it, but for some reason I included elf as a playable class. Cause I guess that's just what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <Of> right. <laughs> so anyway, my attempt at doing that inspired my friend Alex to write his own, um, uh, game a couple years later, and this was when the first XCOM had come out. Mm. And so it was a total XCOM ripoff. Oh, yeah. And he called it Xenomorph, and um, uh, the interesting thing about that is that it featured uh, polyhedral dice as attributes and skills. Oh, wow. Yeah, and this was um, probably about three years before Deadlands came out, and to my knowledge Deadlands is the first published RPG that had that mechanic. Man. So I remember when Deadlands came out, I was like, they stole your idea. <laughs> <laughs> so his was was considerably, uh, you know, more marketable than mine, obviously. Right. And then I took a second stab at a lone wolf RPG when I was like, I think, a junior in high school. And, you know, I was only a few years older, but that made all the difference because I was like, what the hell, elves? So, you know, I tried to kind of go back and do it justice and actually go through the books and pull out you know all the um, relevant uh, you know magic systems and races and everything else and then just do kind of what they call a fantasy heartbreaker you mm. know it's just basically D with the serial numbers filed off kind right. of thing and i never had any real uh, intention of publishing it obviously since it was based on a licensed property but it was just sort of my stab at it and then uh, another friend of mine um wrote his own fantasy heartbreaker that was sort of this hodgepodge of D &D, um role master um brp it had it had kind of everything in there
2: Hmm.
0: all at once and um and uh he originally called it the realm of darkness oh really yes and then (laughs) uh and he actually had ambitions to publish it oh and then he eventually changed the name to false hope because um basically we just gave him so much shit about it and uh refused to play it mm. <laughs> so he's it, it became his false hope to uh that he would ever do anything with it oh yeah so <laughs> poor guy poor guy but um yeah i i don't know i think everyone you know who's into gaming long enough probably takes a stab at, at uh writing their own system yeah
1: yeah have you I haven't started writing it yet. I keep thinking about it mm. and it just falls apart in my head. So I imagine if I tried to put it down on paper, it would probably just spontaneously combust. <laughs> right. The uh, the gods of, you know, of tabletop gaming would smite me with some strange, you know, plague of rogues or something. So yeah, I'm trying to
0: stay humble and you know work on system <laughs> conversions instead of uh, sort of creating new ones. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm sort of of the opinion. I mean, house rulings one thing, and like I said, you know, it took me years even to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So I think you know there are people who are just natural uh, sort of tinkerers and you know um, game rules guys, you know who. Who just like, they'll look at a book and all of a sudden there'll be like this animation of the paragraphs coming out of the book and like, you know, floating around in front of their face, you know, and they see how it all works together in this sort of Hellraiser type, you know, (laughs) revelation. Right. And, uh, I'm not like that. Yeah. You know, I'm much better riffing off of something that's been established. So like, I'll take a, I could take an open source system, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and do something with that. But in terms of like coming up with anything original, yeah, I usually um, just stop short and go, well, it's been done.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or it would just be broken horribly, horribly, horribly broken.
0: Yeah. Although we've got, we, we were talking about a D 12 dice pool system. So
1: that's true. I, I would, I would put aside my, uh, yeah, my (laughs) anxiety over it to, uh, to create some sort of D 12 dice rolling system. (laughs) The
0: D 12 does not get enough love. No, it does not. Um, I actually just heard about, um, four-sided dice that come on a d12 so it's like one through four numbered three times Hmm. because you know rolling a four-sided dice can kind of lame so that way you get you get the satisfaction of rolling a d12 every time you have to roll a d4 oh Mm -hmm. that's kind of nice yeah i thought it was a neat idea yeah that
1: uh yeah because the d4 doesn't exactly roll too well you kind of just have to flip it
0: sort of anticlimactic
1: yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> so it's like yeah, I mean, I, I like the D four. It's a you know, it's a little, it's an elegant little um, you know pyramid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, sure. just not exactly in you know rolling shape. No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, there is a point where um, uh, I think house ruling does turn into uh, writing your own game. Yeah, definitely. And um, well, I was sort of mentioning last week when I was talking about Palladium and just um, uh, you know. How that system is essentially D and D with a lot of ho- enough house rules on it to turn it into a completely new system. Yeah, you know, but you can still see all the D and D in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how a lot of systems were um, kind of that second wave of of systems uh, in the '80s. Um, it was just people kind of messing around with the established mechanics, you know, yeah. rather than. You know nowadays it's like that's another sort of barrier to writing my own game is like you have to you have to be so far outside the box you well, know right we like need, like dungeon world we need some new dice is what we need exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah you need to have these like you know just these these brain waves you know where it's like what if the GM never rolls dice and there's no such thing as failure because everything drives the game forward right you know and it's just like I would have never come up with that by myself exactly <laughs> you know? and partly because I, I like to trad- like, i like dungeon world and i like the uh, a lot of indie rpgs mm-hmm. but ultimately i'll always come back to traditional rpgs because there's just something about that dynamic that i like
1: it's true i i very much like rolling dice as a gm because you will never roll better than you do except when you're a dm that's right that's right <laughs> totally true yeah so if any players out there need like an ego boost if they've been rolling like straight ones for like six months now Mm -hmm. just run your own game and see how well your like level one kobold minion rolls against these (laughs) poor hapless players because it will murder them and you'll feel terrible for a second
0: yeah i have to say running savage worlds uh more so than any other system i've run Uh because like when i when i roll four aces on a roll and i get like 36 on a skill roll, or even worse, on a damage roll. Yeah, it's like this mix of elation and uh, just total um, schadenfreude and, uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> and, and and genuine, you know, genuine uh, sad feelings on the players' behalfs. Like, well, I hate to tell you, I just rolled five aces and I got a thirty-six. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm really sorry.
1: All that hard work and yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <well>. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's what uh, that's what kind of makes those ones fun, for uh, at least for me, because, mm-hmm. yeah, I like rolling characters. This is David Schimpf. And this is David Larkins. And everyone have a great evening.
0: And we will catch you next time. That's right. Hey, folks. Thanks for joining us for our second episode. As I said at the end of episode one, what we'd really like is to hear from you, our listeners. Right now, the best way to do that is to leave a comment at our blog, which you can find at unabashedgaming.blogspot.com, or, even better, give us a call on our game line, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, voicemail number 262 729 If you have a gaming-related problem, question, idea, or any other topic you'd like to hear us bat around on our podcast, we'll do our best to oblige. Until next time!